So, retrospectors, what historical events are we ticking off on this week's run of Today in History? Well, Monday is the anniversary of the day Roger first publishes famous thesaurus. Then on Tuesday, we say happy birthday, Mr. Potato Head. On Wednesday, the extraordinary stories of the child soldiers who fought in the American Civil War. On Thursday, how King James changed the word of God. And on Friday, what did spam emails look like in 1978? We discuss this and more on Today in History with the retrospectors. Ten minutes every weekday, wherever you get your podcasts. Hear that? Believe it or not, summer is just around the corner. Luckily, ArmorAll, America's most trusted auto appearance brand, has what your car needs to get that perfect summer shine. Plus, now through May 31st, we'll give you $5 for every 20 you spend on ArmorAll products. That means car wash pods, protectant, tire shine, you name it. Find out how to get your $5 rebate at armorall.com. ArmorAll, less work, more clean. Terms apply. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome to For F1's Sake, the Formula One podcast that's coming at you like a torpedo. The way that you delivered the line no, makes just... it seem a little dirtier than was originally intended. Welcome to For F1's Sake, the Formula One podcast that will be delayed for an unreasonably long time because of a really tiny damp patch. Oh, but it's very wet. Where's this going? Welcome to For F1's Sake, the Formula One podcast that's parking a truck at the pit entrance of F1 Podcasts. Is it me or they all sound rude today? (laughs) Is that because I'm ill? (laughs) (laughs) Welcome to For F1's Sake, the Formula One podcast that after a red flag won't be in Q3. Oh. I'm Chica Ayres, and today we look back at the Chinese Grand Prix. Rosberg won again, Hamilton had all the bad luck, and is there now too much overtaking in F1? All these questions and possibly answers in today's show. That's all to come. And with me at the Union Tavern in West London is a 5 for 11 bearded motoring journalist. It's Phil Tromans. I guessed your height. And what have you been up to, please, Phil? Uh, The one thing I want to talk about is a bloke I interviewed last week. Uh, His name is Maximilian Cooper and he's the chap behind the Gumball 3000 Rally. Are you familiar with this? The the what rally? The Gumball 3000 Rally. I've heard of it. That was a cartoon in the 80s, wasn't it? That's not right, no. Oh, I'm thinking of the Wacky Racers. Racers. You might be thinking of the Wacky Racers or possibly Thundercats. (laughs) Yes, Thundercats. It was definitely Thundercats. Anyway. Jackass did it. Yes, that's exactly it. I've seen that. That's the same thing, yes. Yes. So I had a a chat with the guy who started that this week and what's interesting is that he has a background in motorsport he was uh, basically a model made a load of money and used his money to go motor racing and he started Gumball because he was like the social scene in motor racing is rubbish and he initially before he started Gumball tried to 
buy an F1 team. He tried to buy Tyrrell, which I didn't know. Oh. And he was only gazumped at the last minute when his financial backer was outbid by British American tobacco. Ooh. Which consequently, and then goes the story of VAR racing and so on. But uh, he was basically saying that if F1 sorts itself out, he'd be very interested in getting into it again. Which I just thought might be quite interesting. We, we can help! We can. We, and I can paint the garage. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I don't think Gumball are short review for you, Queen, because they've now basically got a Okay, well, I'll paint the garage for a high fee. <laughs> <laughs> I just thought it was an interesting thing. It was an interesting chap to talk to and an interesting little bit of F1 trivia that we could almost have had a Gumball 3000 team or something similar. And we might still in the future if F1 can get his arse in gear, which is never going to happen. Well, we'll wait and mm. see. On the other side of me is a man utterly convinced that the podium fight he's been waiting for is surely about to happen. So it's Terry Saunders. It's a long season. It's going to happen. Can I be honest? You're can I be higher. candid? I'm a bit high on first offence. I've had a bit of a I've had a bit of a rubbish couple of weeks. Oh no. My my cat died. Oh no. And that was really sad and oh. it has been quite sad and I realized a truth about mortality is that when I finally pop my own clogs I hope it's not at the start of a season because I was just thinking my cat died and Rosberg's in the league of the championship but I can't think of a worse time to die. Your cat is looking down on this now. And observing F1 from heaven. I mean, looking up probably was a bit of a shit. <laughs> We're getting into. So, Terry, the last time we heard about your cat on the podcast, you uh, stuck it on top of some paint. Yeah, that was right. I spilled some paint on the carpet and I told the cat to sit there and so that my wife wouldn't notice. Unfortunately, I must just be so good at controlling cats. He just sat there till he died. <laughs> And but what then, happens when you have to move the body and your wife sees the paint? Well, I've just covered the cat in paint. <laughs> <laughs> so we start this week with Torpedo Gate, and Andy from Bournemouth tweeted us saying, I spotted Vettel's dummy trackside from where he spat out over someone pulling a legit move. Vettel should have backed out if he wanted to avoid contact. No one to blame. Great response from Kvyat, though. Well, Andy, I couldn't agree more. First of all, thank you for getting into your tweet that you were trackside. Very swish. I'm guessing that meant you were actually there, not wearing some kind of virtual reality helmet. So that would be cool. So basically what happened this weekend, of course, was that Kvyat bumped into Vettel. Wow. Well, actually, immediately I have to stop you. We will discuss this. And then on the podium, Vettel had a right go at Kvyat. In fact, I wrote down exactly what he said on the radio. That attack was suicidal. There was always going to be a crash. There was no way with the speed he had, he could have done the corner. And yet he did done the corner. He did done proper, <laughs> stitched it up he like done a the kippo corner or blimey Charlie. And done a very good job of doing the corner. Exactly. What actually happened was that the head of Ferrari, not just the Ferrari Formula One boss, Arevibieni, it was the head of all Ferrari and Marcioni. Fiat, Marcia, the guy who sounds like a mafia boss, Mar- Marcioni, <laughs> was there, trackside. They're floating Ferrari on the stock market. There's a lot of money involved. They've had a big jolly in China, which is a huge market for Ferrari. And they've said, OK, investors, let's take a look at our Formula One team. I think you'll be impressed. We've got uh, Sebastian Vettel. Do you know he's a four times world champion? He Lord never makes a mistake. Yeah, yeah. He, One of the great teams. He never screws up. OK, so let's see what happens. Oh. He seems to have crashed into his teammate. On the first corner. Oh, oh, well, okay. Well, let's see what Vettel says about it. It wasn't my fault. It was the guy from Red Bull. Um, It's like having a go at someone who used to do your job. It's like saying, no, you don't know. If you're ordering the paper clips, you know you've got to go through Vera. (laughs) (laughs) 
So what you're saying is Kvyat didn't go through Vera? Vettel was in the wrong. He then had a go at Kvyat on the podium. And Kvyat, who I've never really had much time for, to be honest, up until now, Kvyat just responded by basically saying, screw you, I'm on the podium, I'm not going to listen to you. He face, didn't yeah. he? was just like, well, don't crash in then. If it, you, you know, you think you're going to crash, uh, don't crash. How about, how about no lol jokes? Yeah. And we call it Torpedo Gate because he called him a torpedo. I'm and not sure he exactly called him a torpedo. I think he said he was like a torpedo. Like, sorry. He didn't say, oi, like. torpedo. <laughs> that would have been good. Well, it's a metaphor, like isn't a torpedo. it? It's a simile. So Andy said Vettel should have backed out if he wanted to avoid contact. No one's to blame. I think that's probably quite fair because I've watched it about five or six times now trying to figure out who's to blame. First of all, I don't think Kvyat did anything wrong at all. Vettel went wide. Kvyat saw the gap, went around the inside. It was unfortunate that at the same time... Raikkonen was sort of coming in from the left to the right and squeezing Vettel so Vettel kind of had nowhere to go quite why he elected to, to rather than slam on the brakes or drive into Kvyat he elected to drive into Gimme I don't know but I would just write it off as a racing incident it's, See, it's Vettel's reaction that was that was a bit dummy spitting I think it was just one of those things could you also say Raikkonen had a bit to do with it then? I mean I'd have to watch it yet again from another angle to see what Raikkonen was doing that made him cut across in front of Vettel he was and turning the corner. Remember. They yeah, were I mean, all I going into the corner. Those things. Basically, Kvyat is cursed with having an amazing start. He got such a good start. That's like saying that I'm cursed with these amazing good looks. I can't help it. I'm just born it's this just way. one of those things. Yeah. So Daniel Moore tweeted us and said, When will Sky stop trying to undermine Rosberg's success? All I hear is them whining about how lucky he is. Six wins in a row. Rosberg is bigger than like the maths you know when you do greater maths. than greater than well, he might be bigger Hamilton I don't think that Sky have been particularly whining I think actually the problem here is Rosberg basically seems to have signed a deal with the devil because he's basically gone hello Mr. Devil I've, I've had a baby like you asked okay well <laughs> well <laughs> you give him to me you, you give him to me and you can be world champion. And he's gone, all right, I'll do that. And then since he signed that, quote baby, every race he's just got off to a good start and all the others just fall over behind him. Hang on a sec. Ricardo was in ahead of him and got a puncture. <laughs> are you, uh, uh, that, that's not the devil. Right. You are saying that Rosberg has sold his newborn child yes. to, to the devil himself I stand I by we, that I don't think we get any he reason went down to, to the crossroads that. put it this way if we went back a year and I said to you Rosberg win six races in a row what would you say you'd be like well he sold his child to the devil he sold like. his child to the devil and I'd be like well he's not had a kid you're like well he's going to have one then sell it to the devil I think a little bit much has been made of this. I mean, yeah, Rosberg's won six in a row, and it's very impressive, but he's basically won three in a row, because as far as I'm concerned, he won the last three when Hamilton had given up. This three, this year, he's done very well. Don't get me wrong. He's not done anything wrong. He's, he's had a lovely well day. In a very good car, but at least in the last two races, in fact, I think in Australia as well, from memory, something's happened to Hamilton, who is the only guy in the same car as him, which we all know is the best car. So, so I, in answer to Daniel, are you saying that Sky is is not trying to... I, I, I haven't watched enough Sky because I'm too tight to pay for it mm. to, to be able to give a, a comprehensive analysis of their bias or otherwise. But, yeah, just, Rosberg has done very well. Second. I don't think we should write Rosberg's achievement off, but does, there have been extenuating circumstances. Does anyone have Sky? I get Now TV when it's not on get, Channel 4. I get Now TV. I got Now TV this week. Got Sky, but I haven't got Sky F1 because it costs a billion pounds a year. I, I rent Sky at a premium. It's ten quid for the week. Ten quid for the week. Which, when there's like 400 races, that's a million pounds. 
Moving on, Nate Petrulia tweeted saying, These clock engines are actually pretty quick. Do you reckon the combo of clock chassis could beat Ferrari at, say, Singapore? That's nice phrasing. I assume he's referring to the Tag Heuer engines manufactured in Switzerland. I mean, technically they're watches, let's be fair. I don't is, think is tag, a watch not a clock? Do Tag Heuer make clocks? Well, surely a watch is a clock. I mean, is we're it? getting into the finer aspects of horology here, which is probably off the point. I don't know. I don't know if it's been the engines that made Red Bull quick this weekend. It was the chassis, because through all the slow corners, they were really fast. They were faster than Mercedes on a lot of the corners. Indeed, and you do wonder if once the Renault engine, and we'll have a bit more about this later, is, is sort of up to snuff, whether they might suddenly find it a lot more pace overall. Um, his uh, comment about the combo of the clock and the chassis could beat Ferrari at, say, Singapore, i.e. one of the smaller, twistier circuits. Yeah, maybe. Uh, uh, track, small, twisty tracks that, that rely more on chassis than brute, brute horsepower, on the basis of China, could be, could be pretty good for Red Bull, one would think. I'm going to make a damning prediction. This year's championship is going to be like Jensen Button's championship winning year in that he racked up all the wins at the start of the year and then other teams overtook and he had to try and cling on to his lead. I think as soon as Renault gets an update in, I think Red Bull have got the best chassis by a country mile and as soon as Renault get the engine up to date, then I think Red Bull are going to be winning the back end of the races. I think Red Bull are going to win the last six races of the season. The fact that they've got on the uh, on the podium already with what everyone acknowledges to be a bit of a dog of an engine, even yes. though it's better this year than last year, is, uh, yeah, I think should send alarm bells around the paddock. So thank you, Nate and Daniel and Andy for all your questions. If you would like to tweet us a question, then you can tweet us at For F1's Sake or you can find us on Facebook where we're at FF1S. So let's move on to the race. We are going to go through team by team, driver by driver. And let's start off with Mercedes. So I've decided to sum up Mercedes weekend in seven points. One, Hamilton had a broken wing on lap one. Two, Rosberg's second win in China. Three, Hamilton pitted three times in the first six laps. Four, I can't think of anything for this one. I've got a four, I've got a four. For God's sake, I can't believe (laughs) that Rosberg won. Five, started with a five-point grid penalty. Oh, I see what you're doing now. Six, Rosberg's sixth consecutive victory. And seven, Hamilton came seven. This is tremendous. And eight, we just ate some crisps. (laughs) So uh, that's that took me hours, and um, I didn't. Actually <laughs> oh, I did it in a few seconds. <laughs> but and I didn't even think of a question. So, what did you think? I mean, it's always exciting when one of the team's car, one of the cars of a team, is at the front of the grid, mm. and one's at the very back of the grid. It's like a Mercedes sandwich. It's, it's like fat sandwich. Well, it was like Mercedes bread. It was like a Grand Prix sandwich on rye. The rye being Mercedes. So everyone was saying that Hamilton was amazing to get from the back to seven. He's in, like, the best car on the grid, and he only got to seventh. Yeah. Well, let's be fair. He he broke his front wing through no fault. fault of his own. Yeah. I think it was Kvyat's fault, technically. <laughs> well, uh, Domino effect. Yeah, exactly, all of them. And then he changed... The team made him change tyres. Like They were going, look, we're going to get all the pit stops for the year out of the way. We're just going to do all of them. Why did they do that? I think they were trying to be clever... From what I've read, they were trying to be clever and go, right, let's get both tyre types out of the way. 
therefore you can be on the harder tyre for the rest of the race, no more stops. Yeah. But when they went back on those tyres, there was a cut on them and they weren't doing very well or they couldn't, something weird. They, they were try, I think they were trying to, to, to do, literally go in, put the super soft on, do one lap on the super soft, get in and change it again before the safety, Under safety car, car yeah. Uh, so they could basically get two free pit stops and all the tyre changes out of the way and then they could do what the hell they liked. But it didn't quite work because his car was broken into pieces after his front wing ripped yeah. up the bottom. And of the also, car. he got quite a knock, and I think his car was actually quite damaged for the whole race. Yeah, the, the underside was all chewed up where the wing got stuck underneath. Because didn't he describe it in a weird way? What did he say? My car drove like a bed. A bed? A bed. A bed. Oh, a bed. I think he said a four poster bed, didn't he? I mean, I think Hamilton did very well under the circumstances. I mean, starting from the back, losing his wing, having to crawl around an entire lap with the wing under his car ripping up the front of his car going in pitting 45 times and then still getting to seventh and pulling off some really cool overtakes i mean that one up the inside on bottas at the corner where you never normally overtake was was great um so i thought he did pretty well under the circumstances yeah i think he did as good as he could be expected but let's face it rosberg with his deal with the devil he got it in the lead magic to puncture for Ricardo and then stayed in the lead and then just stayed there the whole race so even if Hamilton had the best car in the universe wouldn't have well Ros- Rosberg is good enough on and you know he made no mistakes let's not take too much away from Rosberg but he did absolutely nothing wrong and he drove the perfect race and everybody around him spun off or crashed or had a puncture mm-hmm. or whatever but if you were at the front of the race that far ahead it doesn't matter how good you are you could be in the worst car I think you'd still win I didn't think Rosberg was that well, impressive. Well, you don't get to the front of the pack unless you've got a good car. No, I'm saying in the in the race situation. If you put, like, Gutierrez at the front, right Ooh. at the front, and then you put at, that at race point? situation at the beginning. Right. He was in pole. At the race situation, I think in that, had that happened, he wouldn't have, he would have won. No, I don't think so. I think, you forget, the Mercedes is so powerful. It's so much better than all the other cars. That all Rosberg had to do, basically, was not make any mistakes, which he didn't. I mean, he. But I don't think. Yeah, I don't think a Haas. I mean, you could argue another driver in a Mercedes would have done just as well, probably. Although it's got to be said, Mercedes are doing are so far ahead of the game. Their development is that they're not even bothering developing the normal bits now. They had a special thing this weekend where it would throw out little drawing pins onto the track. Yeah. <laughs> Something. There's an argument that could run and run and run about would another driver in Rosberg's position in the Mercedes have still finished 38 seconds ahead and I think maybe they would I mean but don't take anything away from him he drove really well and made no mistakes but everybody else around him had issues of some sort and that's why he won by so much but Rosberg now being 36 points ahead he's now overtaken Sterling Moss as the most successful driver without a world championship we've got some good stats on this as well Um, also no other driver in the history of Formula 1 has won the first three races and not won the championship yeah interesting although as Rosberg himself pointed out none of the others had Hamilton as a teammate and the well, that, yeah, well, that's and, stupid. If, and if, they didn't have 21 races but if Schumacher had Hamilton as a teammate he'd have been 11 <laughs> that's a stupid comparison <laughs> never, never mind Fangio or else yeah, yeah Fangio would be like well I've got some guy here apparently his great grandkid we've got to go and kill the Terminator <laughs> I mean, there's a, there's a lot more races this year than, the, than there ever have been before. So I th- we can't get too carried away with ourselves. We're three races down. He's, he's a full race and a bit ahead. But there's still 21 minus three. Quite a few races to 18. go, if you like. Still several races to go. 
so it's is, probably too early to start spe- and double points. all this oh, no. speculation already. I mean, we'll speculate anyway. We will obviously speculate. Well, we like sure. a good stat, okay. don't we? I mean, I'm hoping he's the first person to win three races and not win a championship. <laughs> It, it'd, be, it'd be good for him to get that record. Because that, what was that stat about the Sterling Moss one? So he's won the most races without winning a championship. Because mm-hmm. I think Nigel Mansell <laughs> won more. Oh no, I know. But Nigel Mansell won more races. Nigel Mansell held that record. He beat Sterling Moss to that record. But then he won a championship and ruined the record. So, you know, we'll see. Right. Let's move on to Ferrari. This race revealed another side to funny, lovable battle. Oh, he's so the, funny. The people's podiumer. The one that laughs at Rosberg and gives good answers in press conferences. Not in China. Vettel destroyed his car. He collided with Raikkonen in the first corner, as we said. He blamed Fiat in the awkward pre-podium room standoff, where he called him a torpedo. But I thought the podium was quite funny because while they were sort of building bridges, Rosberg was celebrating alone, which made me think of uh, the school playground a bit. Oh, yeah, like Rosberg's going, hey, what? I, I came top in the maths test. They're like, oh, there's a fight going on outside. <laughs> like, Rosberg oh. had no idea what was going on. Did you see him? He was sitting there going, awkward. Which was the best. Of, well, I love that bit. What I like most, I think, if you watch the replay, Vettel and Kvyat kind of do a shaky hands thing. And you can see that Vettel's doing that thing that we all had, that kind of, I'm going to fucking sign something, and then he doesn't. And it's like going, I'm going to tell I'm going to tell him he can't use my milk. I'm going to tell him, oh, I can't do it, I can't do it. And that's basically what happened. He was there going, oh, can't do it. And then a minute later, he went, I'm going to do it. And he just exploded in a way that when you do finally tell your flatmate about using your milk, you just go, because it's so pent up, you really go over, you overreact. And that's I think what he could, did. Yeah, looked a bit surprised by it. Do you think he had any idea that, that Vettel would have any no. reason to be annoyed with him? Well, he was just like, well, yeah. what? We're both on the podium. Yeah, what? from Kvyat's point of view, he got a good start. He may have seen the crash in his rearview mirror, but um, so what? He had no idea. The, 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 the team radio people, probably they're not allowed to say that, but even if they would, they wouldn't be going, oh, by the way, <laughs> I, don't, I know you're busy, but uh, <laughs> Vettel's really pissed off at you. <laughs> so uh, Just watch, watch yourself yeah. and get out of the car. <laughs> Don't, Wait and be on the don't, shed. don't get distracted. It's fine. Yeah, he's there. So, okay, yeah. so he might have been angry, but you've got to give it to him. In the first lap, he uh, clobbered his teammate, damaged his car, and still came in second. Yeah, it's it's actually a shame that that his sort of uh, going off at Kvyat overshadowed what was a really good drive. Because yeah, he had a he had broke his front wing twice and still managed to beat everybody else apart from Rosberg, and generally drove really well. But we're all just going to remember it as the time when he had a bit of a paddy. This is classic Ferrari. Ferrari have got a really good car this year and they keep screwing up. I think it's the heritage teams. Williams, Ferrari, McLaren. They just can't. They just they, they don't know how to do it anymore. What I like, though, was that Vettel broke his wing twice, as you say. Didn't even know the second time. He actually corrected someone in an interview when they went, you broke your wing again. And he went, no, I didn't. And they were like, you did. And he went, did I? And then they showed him. And he was like, oh. Oh, it's footage a bit flying off at some point, yeah. wasn't it? It has been a season so far. It was the same in Bahrain, wasn't it? There were bits of wings flying off all around the track. It's brilliant. It's maybe maybe this is the secret to spicing up F1, because every race so far has been really enjoyable. Maybe we just need debris sparkled all over the track. Yeah, sod tyres degrading. Let's have the cars degrading. <laughs> so it's just a seat and a couple of wheels at the end. Watching the race, I was confused about knowing the rules on overtaking on pit lane entry. Well, so is everyone else. So, well, the rule everyone apart is... From yeah, the rule is... The, the pit lane quote officially doesn't begin until they cross the white pit lane line where they have and, to be on the speed limit yeah so when they have to turn the speed down and until that point they're still on a racetrack oh. so what was happening was 
the was it Hulkenberg or what? Hulkenberg was trying to was trying to back everyone up so he because his mate was Perez in the, yeah his mate was in the, the pits way. and he was they going when I go them. slowly then by the time I get to the pits the guy it's like you know the guy was gone. What was interesting though is that this was under a safety car when normally under a safety car you're not allowed to overtake. But Ooh, I think once you go point. into the pit lane entry, it doesn't officially count as the track. I think. Oh so God, it's yeah, sort of like bit. a no man's land. So if he was on the track and he tried to overtake him, you'd have been in all sorts of trouble. But because it's that sort of area of purgatory, so he was allowed to nip past them and, and not get into any trouble. So it's a very well researched race. Oh yeah, that's yeah. what I love about really great Formula One drivers who know this crap. You know, yeah. it's that, like our favourites are always the ones that have their nose stuck in the rule book. Mm. Right, Haas. Haas. Hayes. Terry, how is your printer? Well, you may remember last time I, I was talking about my new printer and saying how uh, it was very much like Grosjean's drive. Well, I haven't used my printer in the last two weeks because my cat died. And <laughs> What's that got to do with that? I've been very upset. You can't print off the when sermon. You can't print with a dead cat. <laughs> the body's on top of the printer. It feels bad. Oh. So I'm guessing Grosjean's had the same thing. <laughs> do you still stick with Grosjean is like your printer? Yes. Okay, good. After not being used the print heads dry up mm-hmm. and he comes 17 he didn't have a great birthday he had a collision early on and oh, if it was you... his birthday sorry forgot. yeah I know and if you remember in Melbourne the safety car helped Hayes come home with points but last weekend was one of the main reasons that they were unable to yeah well you know easy come easy go Grosjean wrote a lot about his car do we know what that was? Yeah, well, his, his, I think his main uh, problem was the tyres. Because uh, China is a track that's really hard on the front tyres, so there's lots of big braking and some other stuff. Pirelli mandated that the minimum pressures in the front tyres had to be really high, which, uh, which Grosjean described uh, them as being like driving on pieces of wood. There's obviously more pressure, that means they're really hard, which means they don't sort of spread over the track quite so much and they're you know, not so much grip on them. So I think it wasn't... Uh, particularly beneficial to the way that the Haas drives. On a more positive note, that was actually the first time that both Haas have come home. Gutierrez's first finish of the year. Oh, well done him. Do you think this shows that he's coming out of driver puberty and becoming a man? No, it just means his car didn't break down, even though it was really slow. Uh, Gunther Steiner, the the Haas boss, said it was uh, a reality check for them. The, the fact that they finished in these positions, if they hadn't had such good races in Australia and Bahrain, would have been, would have been all sort of, oh, yeah, that's pretty good from, uh, from Haas to be sort of mixing it with the back of the field teams and pushing the midfield. But it's because they did so well in the first two races that now it just seems a bit rubbish by comparison. Williams, if there was a prize for the least exciting team, um, things looked like they were going averagely until their chances were blown by not a huge crash, not a disastrous driver error, but medium tyres. When was the last time you watched Williams and felt any adrenaline? 1992. Nigel Nigel Mansell was the world champion that year because he drove Williams-Renault to victory on a car that was so scarily outmatched the rest of the field, no one else bothered turning up. Uh, Yeah, Bottas said the tyres were terrible, the medium tyres particularly, he had no pace. The most exciting thing they were involved in, from what I remember, was when Bottas was overtaken by a spectacular Lewis Hamilton, Mm. as we've previously mentioned. Toro Rosso then. So I was trying to write a summary of what happened for Toro Rosso this weekend, um, but I couldn't. But instead I found Verstappen's roundup and thought nothing sums it up better than the voice of a hyped-up Dutch teenager. Terry, please, take it away. Swell, it was a race full of action. (laughs) At the start I had a good reaction, but then I wasn't able to keep my position, unfortunately. 
from then on it was very tricky and the safety car didn't help as I lost even more ground with a double pitch stop which meant I was at the back of the pack but I stayed calm overstook my rivals one by one and in the end to crush the line in each position is something that if someone had told me at the beginning of the race I wouldn't have believed I also think the team did a great job striking <laughs> We were able to judge through the field and score some more points. I'll be honest, that was less Dutch teenager and more sort of Scottish Dutch war veteran reliving the Battle of Nijmegen. I mean, that sums up, really. That was what I was asked um, to do. I can't. I, I don't actually remember much about Toro Rosso in the race. It's I mean, they did all right. They kind of swapped positions from where they qualified and finished eighth and ninth. And yeah. now we've all been teenagers. Uh, you know, when you're a teenager and you've got that kind of perpetual horn. <laughs> I know, That's right? My first band, actually. Do you think that Max? <laughs> do you think Max Verstappen just came out of the race as an erection? <laughs> Absolutely. Okay, cool. Thanks. McLaren. So it's another meh weekend for McLaren. Qualifying. McLaren. <laughs> oh, very good. Qualifying looks promising, but uh, they got no points in the race. However, Alonso finished, which none of us predicted. Button said it was strategy this time, a tyre mess up. But how many more excuses can they come up with? Do you think that they need to admit defeat this season and go back to the drawing board? It's not, a bit, it's oh, a bit just, late to go back to the drawing board. I mean, the drawing it's not the drawing board that's the problem. It's the, the drawing board. The drawing board is just an A3 pad that says, can we please fucking win written on it? <laughs> that's not the issue. The issue here is that they've done a really good job they fixed all the problems of their car last year, most of the problems of their car last year. They're doing really well. Against all of their simulations, they're going, bloody hell, we're doing good, and all the other teams are faster. There was a bit in the race where it looked like they could genuinely overtake other cars, but I think it was just they were on softer tyres. They finished, what is it, 12th and 13th, no, 11th and 12th, and to be honest, that's about where the cars deserve to be. It, it was 12th and 13th. They qualified 11th and 12th, and they were oh, a yeah. bit they were a bit annoyed about it. Alonso particularly, as we discussed in the intro, <laughs> was either really annoyed or really happy about well, where he finished. His ribs are really hurt. He's probably there going, my fucking ribs. <laughs> He's trying to talk, and like the punctured lung just kind of eased out some air. Yes! So what, you want to drive for Haas? Sorry, what? <laughs> Right, okay, Red Bull. Now this is where things got exciting. Red Bull reared their heads again after months of Christian Horner burying it deep in the sand of antagonism. Ricardo no longer was dead behind the eyes, I don't know if you saw, but there's now truth in the smile. Ricardo beat Rosberg off the line and then his tyre blew out, which actually broke my heart. But I think he did quite well to come forth. He did more than well. I think he did exceptionally well. Does the future look bright for Red Bull? Could yes. Red Bull be the new Williams with added excitement in third place? I think they could be uh, could be second place. What do you think about that? The new Ferrari? Uh, yeah, potentially they could be well up there with Ferrari once once they've got good engine power. I think they uh, I think they could. But yeah, Ricardo, superb. Mm. Uh, he said himself, I think it was his best drive of the year, and I'm inclined to agree with him. He, was, he did brilliantly in qualifying. He was really unlucky to have his tyre explode, but still got back and still was only just off the podium. So what I was wondering with Kvyat, if he had fresher tyres in this race, do you think he could have overtaken Vettel? Maybe. Good. (laughs) Can I say, uh, uh, this whole Kvyat torpedo thing we've talked about, Mm. but that's almost overshadowing the fact that at one point in the race, Kvyat was really pissed off when he was trying to get the blue flags out of the way, and he was there on the radio going... Blue, tell Palmer about the blue fucking flags. <laughs> <laughs> the fucking blue, stab him. 
And so I managed to get an interview with Kvyat after the race, and I said to him, uh, Daniel, what are your favourite films? And he said, uh, Blue fucking velvet! <laughs> Three colours fucking blue! Blue's fucking brothers! <laughs> fucking blue is the warmest colour. Oh, nice, there you go. He's a kinky bastard. Huh. All right, let's go to Renault. Oh, do we have to? Not great. Palmer and Magnussen trundled along at the back. They were both very unimpressive, and nobody really knows why. Was it another off day? Yes. It was a pretty off day all round, really, wasn't it? The car was slow, the drivers didn't do particularly well. I mean, Magnussen, I've heard it said, did quite well to get as high as 17th. And if that's the state of play, then... Yeah, I mean, you know, we've said since the beginning of the season that this is a this is a sort of a gap year for them as they try and sort everything out. But yeah, it wasn't, wasn't a great one. Palmer was last. I don't quite exactly know whether that was because he was so diabolically poor, or the car was diabolically poor, or the manner of starting to nibble at the tail enders now. But yeah, one to forget for, for Renault. Because they didn't really give any reasons, did they? For why I, I, meant to I read their press release and it was basically just full of them going, it was rubbish. <laughs> they didn't really give any reasons. We are so reasons. shit at this. <laughs> their press release. Now I remember why we left in the first place. Force India. Okay, it was an unlucky weekend for Force India. Not Hamilton unlucky, but more like Ferrari unlucky. They finished outside of the point. Hulkenberg got a five-second penalty for driving unnecessarily slow in the pit lane to add to his earlier grid penalty. Um, his wheel fell off in qualifying. Oh, yeah. Yeah, and that messed up uh, the end of, uh, end of Q2, didn't it? However, Hulkenberg did actually get the fastest lap of the race. Good on him. Did he? I didn't know that. Hmm. Good on him. The first few laps, things were looking quite good. Uh, they were in third and fourth. But was it just their strategy that let them down? Yes, and also the fact that the car isn't very good. Yeah, and uh, I don't think the driving was, was, was good enough. Apart from the strategy, the car, the, the driving. Driver. What the have the Romans cars, ever done for us? <laughs> <laughs> All right, Manor. Things went quite well for Manor. Harry Anto didn't have a bad race. Verline was in fourth for a bit. Um, he held off Palmer at the end. Although, it, I sort of, when I was thinking that, it sounds really patronising. He held off Palmer at the end. So is it the car isn't great, but the drivers have got potential? Yes, I think both of the drivers have got potential. We all thought Fairline would be quite good. Harry Anto's proven better than I think most of us thought. I mean, I, I, he did win a few GP2 races, I think. So uh, we knew he wasn't terrible, but he's been doing pretty good and Verline was finished 18th anything outside of 21st and 22nd is good finally let's talk about Sauber, oh, Sauber it was crashes all round for the Saubers in the first few minutes um, NASA had a more challenging race it was a mixture of car and strategy problems um, both didn't deal with the safety car very well and I can't really decide do you reckon that this was a good or bad day for Sauber how on earth would it have been a good day for Sauber both their drivers crashed in the first corner uh, and they were 16th and 20th. I think it's all round but a terrible day for Sauber again. Considering they crashed in the first corner, coming I mean, you 16th, could, not You bad. could say, that, yeah, but they still crashed at the first corner, so I don't think that makes it a necessarily good day. I mean, the, the, the bonuses they could take out of it with the fact that there was some attention on them for once because they were involved in banging into other cars, but uh, yeah. I mean, I feel sorry for them, really. Got no money, not doing very well. Uh, actually... They did stand up and declare they weren't bankrupt. Oh, well, that's good then. Oh, well, that's good. They're doing great. It's a brilliant day. All of which leads us to the standings. So it's over to you, Terry. Okay, well, the Drivers' Championship, no surprise. In first place is You Can Have My Firstborn. 
Second place, he's haven't started yet. Third is no one cares about the hair. Fourth, he did it! Fifth, what the fuck just fucking happened? Sixth, I'm struggling to get out of bed in the mornings. That's how depressed I am. Seventh, I'm a fucking torpedo! Eighth, Haas Bean. Nine, Maximum Mare. Uh, tenth, Botasserie Valerie. <laughs> 11th, Talkenberg, 12th, Jusainzing, and 13th, Stoffelruffel. And the constructors in first place. We've actually made quite good time. Do you want anything from the shop? (laughs) Second is stop fighting in the back. Third is glad you've got over your cold. Fourth is you're not going to achieve anything with that attitude. Fifth, that's what we're down a peg or two. Sixth, you'll grow into it. Seventh, don't you know there's people starving. And eighth, you're getting too old to play here. Time for the State of F1 with Terry Saunders. Well, ladies and gentlemen, this State of F1 is a little different to normal because I'm going to say something quite controversial. I think Formula One's fine. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Yeah, basically, the first three races this season have been quite fantastic. And that's because of the tyre situation. As we spoke in the last episode, the, the, the having several compounds of tyre is working. And what I'm really worried about is that next year they're bringing in a whole raft of new rule changes that they haven't agreed on yet, that they had till the end of last year to decide on. Now they've gone, oh, we're going to do it to the end of February, or actually April. And knowing Formula One as well as I do, this can only be a massive fuck-up. What pre- possible precedent have you got for this? Just the years 1957 through 2014. So basically, if you don't follow Formula 1 over a long cycle, you can start to see the repeated peaks and troughs. Whenever there's a big rule change, one team come out of it better than others, whether that be Ferrari, Mercedes, Williams in the old days, McLaren, Red Bull obviously had a great diffuser-based rule ch- cheating. I mean, they just did really well. And... What happens is one team goes ahead, goes ahead, wins a couple of seasons, and the other teams go, oh, they're doing that cheat thing, we'll do that too. And that's what's happening now. Everyone's kind of basically going, okay, Mercedes had some weird way of making an engine that appears to be the best way. Everyone else is now going, let's make our engines the weird way, guys. And now if we want to say next year, we're going to have all these new rules. The cars are going to be 20 minutes faster a lap. We're going to have tyres that are made of, like, car. Uh, kind of plastic everything's made of aluminium and it's going to be crazy and we're going to have stupid downforce things and this that, and the other and all that's going to happen is one team is going to go i've cracked this and the other's going to be screwed and actually what we want is more rule stability because with rule stability everyone works out how to best get the rules which means that Formula one becomes a racing category and not a who has the biggest dick category which is what it has been for the last few years so my worry with f1 right now is that it's okay and they're about to break it it's funny you should say that because toto wolf shares your opinion uh, well, he said this week that, the, that he's he's against the changes that are being proposed because we are seeing this convergence of the teams. Yeah, but he's winning. Well, this is the other thing. He would say that, wouldn't he? Because he's they're still ahead. But it is a lot closer than it was. And some of the other teams are not with Toto because I think they're taking the gamble that when the when the, the when they roll the dice again, who's gonna who's gonna nail it on? Who's gonna Who's going to be the Braun? Who's going to be the Red Bull? Who's going to be the the Mercedes and dominate? So I agree with Terry 100%. I think gradual evolution is probably better for the racing in the in the long run. But don't worry, 
I have a solution. Oh, thank God. And the solution is do nothing. Absolutely nothing. If anything, if Formula One can just, the management can just go away, <laughs> we'll be fine. I mean, I think, I think there's a lot of people who would share that opinion. Thank you. <laughs> so if we have to get rid of management, how would you? Right. Jean Todt, the head of the FIA, has basically not been bothering with Formula One because he's got this UN road safety initiative <laughs> thing he's in charge of, which, as we talked in a previous podcast, he's totally turned out to the rest of the world. Well, he did a speech at the UN headquarters in New York this week. And I don't know if you've seen the UN headquarters. It's like a, it's that room with like the thousands of chairs. It's like a Dr. Strangelove kind of war room. And they released, the FIA actually released photos of this speech to which John Tott is in this massive room that is pretty much empty. <laughs> there is no one there. And it's like, well, for one, press department, crop that fucking photo because it looks stupid but secondly that's what we should do there is so much room all we got to do is say to the UN oh John Tott wants to do a speech now like okay we got Wednesday free and then just get all the F1 management to go there waste days talking about road safety whilst we can get on with Formula 1 tremendous but that only takes them away for days they'll come back and want to change rules how can you get rid of them permanently? When they're in there, seal the doors, put <laughs> brooms against the handles, wheelie bins against them, just... Uh, <laughs> and release put, the monkeys. Re- <laughs> release, release the monkeys. So with that in mind, Terry, what is the state of F1? Well, as you know, I like to rank F1 in many scale terms week by week. And this week, I'm going to say F1 is doing pretty well. And I'm going to use a yearly rating. Now, if you think that in 1950, F1 was at its worst, and 2016 is at its best. I'm using a chronological order here. I'm not going to go for the proper order of actual races. I'm going to say we're in about 1974, maybe 1998. So that brings us to the end of For F1's Sake. Phil, what haven't we had time for? We haven't had time to talk about Red Bull's uh, canopy alternative to the Ferrari rollover halo head protection thing. Red Bull have got a new one, and they say they might bring it to Sochi for, to have a sort of wang around the track and see how that looks so that could be interesting to see how it seems and Terry Saunders we haven't had time for this weekend saying that the fastest lap of the Chinese Grand Prix was a whopping seven and a half seconds slower than the lap record was it really so take back everything I said the other week about how fast everything is we'll be back in two weeks for the Russian Grand Prix set the agenda by tweeting us at for F1's sake or go to our Facebook page FF1S I'm G. Grez until next time goodbye goodbye bye Podcast Network.